Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, crappy quiz and a slight tangent. World Cup B is growing on me. (laughs) (laughs) As a name. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. Just a slight tangent on on that. (laughs) This This is far too much of a tangent. Just a brief interruption. Can I also say one more thing on this? Okay. But uh, we also need to impose some rules. Like, we can't just have 20 minute tangents over a text. Come on. This is refusal to consider the circumstances. I'm not going to entertain that, Joe. This conversation is not a good one, I think. Do we argue much? No. We keep them inside. They're fester. <laughs> See, I thought this was a ridiculous text until I read the top three, and then I thought, oh, do you know what? Oh, yeah. I'd actually debate that with you. <laughs> it is an interesting. Sorry, it's not an interesting question, but. Uh, <laughs> Let's make that clear. <laughs> I love the sound of a snooker referee counting up the score. Well, amazingly, we're coming at you again. A slight tangent with you on this Tuesday evening. Arthur O'Dea in the house. Hello, Arthur. Hi, Joe. Mick McCarthy, hello to you. Hello. And William O'Callaghan. Hello. My full legal name there, Joseph Malloy. Of the Hurling Pod, amongst other parishes. You're very welcome. That's all right, yeah. Uh, We had a short email in from Paul, who writes, Dear Joe and Co., challenge accepted. My take on Arthur O'Dea's eulogy for Joe Malloy is this. (laughs) Ah, come on. So, you know, that is your vernacular as well. Oh, sorry, he's writing as me. Yes. <laughs> well, this is quite the honour. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I asked you to do my eulogy if the time comes in the distant future. And uh, so he's... If, <laughs> if you're old now, though. If. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. Ah, come on. Ask someone else. I literally don't have an opinion on this. That's fair. I mean, that's... That is fair. That is fair. Burning satire. <laughs> right from the jump. Uh, lots of emails in this week. A slight tangent at offtheball.com. Thank you for the correspondence. In no particular order, and then we'll get to some topics that we have uh, decided to jump off on at least. Uh, dear Joe and Co., long time first time, which is the approved way to open the email. Long time first Just time. running commentary on the emails as you read them out <laughs> is... Uh, Dragging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Someone analyse Might be half the show, I think, is the problem. <laughs> this is Oren who uh, signs off yours and meandering thoughts. Uh, sometimes I have all, or so, sorry, something I've always wondered. Do you, journalists slash broadcasters in general, not just the Slight Tangent team specifically, uh, do you find it sometimes difficult to criticise or review a poor performance of someone you know might be listening or someone you have met in your professional slash personal lives? For example, would you ever feel a sense of I've had a real go at X I wonder, will she, he be pissed off at me? Jesus, I hope he, she wasn't listening. And when you're being critical, are you always aware this is a human with family, friends, feelings, etc., or just more uh, focused on the analysis you're doing on the radio? Do you wonder, are they going to text you and say, Joe, what's that all about? I thought we were mates. Yours in meandering thoughts, Oren. Interesting question. Yeah. I don't know about the thought we were mates parts, but I have encountered this probably more in local radio than in national media, where if you make comments, yeah, you will get responses sometimes from the people who are affected because I think it affects them more when it's their family members or themselves who are likely to hear it intimately locally as opposed to something that they might miss that gets a brief mention on national news. I always think there's a line in this, lads, where you can analyse fairly about a performance on the pitch or as long as it doesn't realm, go into the realm of a personal attack onto somebody where they genuinely could feel slighted. You know where your emailer is saying there that they could message you and say, look, you know, I've got a family here or this is affecting me what you've said about me. I think most people, even in amateur sports as well as professional sports, 
will be okay as long as you give the, a fair commentary on what you've seen. I think when it verges into the other, they're more than fair to contact you and say, that's unfair. But I, I have got messages, yeah. More so I've got messages about maybe, say, pundits that you would have had on the show talking about a game and what they would have said as opposed to something you've said yourself. I've never had anybody ever in any capacity doing this job for however many years now reach out to me. Mm. That's kind of mad. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. It's no a long journal, time. No like. journalist after something you've written maybe saying the, say the Sunday pay-per-view you're talking about a piece that's been written no one's ever come back to you and said you were unfair about my piece or anything like that. Because I assume they're colleagues who would have your number. You know? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, maybe they feel you're above it. <laughs> We'll text O'Callaghan and said. O'Callaghan will apologise. That Malloy fella. <laughs> He'll think he's right. <laughs> I guess language is important, certainly. Like, he'll be disappointed with that. He had not a great game versus he was absolutely rubbish. Yeah. That's a part of it. But then you can be very boring in your language. Yeah, but I, I do find that, like, you should have a... Uh, you should have a... I suppose a way of doing that that is also respectful and the person like think of them um, as the human being with the family and so on right and ultimately you're talking about their actions on a sports field yeah you know I do think that but there's no doubt about it that you have a different um, language for somebody in Ireland than you would for somebody outside like even like and I was thinking about this in reading the email and being self-critical about it. There's no reason that should be different. You know, like I called Pep Guardiola an arsehole on the, uh, on the news run last night. And it was a throwaway line and it was more a joke than anything else. But at the same time, was there any need for that in the, in the way the conversation was going, in my criticism of him? There really isn't, you know. But I would not do that about a, an Irish-based sports person. No. But I think that's right, as opposed to... I'm pulling my punches for the Irish people because I fear I fear there'll be backlash. I think you should probably do it for everyone. Yeah. Is that because you think Pep is above it or is it because you think he'd have more of an effect on, say, a League of Ireland manager? If you I, I suppose you don't think about it is the thing and it feels like a different world. It feels like almost, a, especially when you're talking about Premier League, you feel like you're talking about people who aren't even in the same world. You know, So you're careful about what you say from a legal point of view, but for, in terms of insulting or anything like that, you know, it's almost like you're not talking about a real person. But and I think Why not of, be the same for everybody? You in know? the world of Premier League, there's just so much noise that... It, is irrelevant. It's just white noise. Whereas in the world of analysing GAA, yeah. your voice on this platform is a lot louder. Absolutely. But I, 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 I still think there's a thing about being respectful. And to be honest, I do think if you do that properly, if you could stand over any backlash you might get by look by saying ultimately I was doing my job, I really like that that's that's what I believe, that's what I have to say, and you're doing it in a non personal way, then I kind of wouldn't be too bothered by the backlash. Mm. You know, I think, I don't know, haven't had too much of it. Will, you're probably the only person in the room that sort of had that. Yeah, uh, look, I think it's probably more difficult sometimes for pundits than it is for radio or TV presenters because generally we're going to be there to try and extract info or opinion from the people who we're speaking to generally. But I wonder how difficult it is for someone who has friendships that they've built with teams because generally now I think pundits are coming from a younger age and just out of the game and they're almost being sought for let's get someone who's in touch with the modern game and get them straight onto a panel I wonder how that affects you if you've shared a dressing room with someone for the last 10 years and then you're thrust onto radio or onto the TV and you're expected to say something that's not just banal niceties and therefore you may well have to go in quite hard on your mates well, I think a lot of times they don't go not in happening. hard on their mates and they're not very good pundits as a result you know 
generally I'd, I'd view anyone recently retired with, with great suspicion when they're in the punditry game. In those instances, they can lean into the fact that they have great relevance and they can tell stories or give insights into personalities. Don't be relying on them to uh, deal in harsh truths. I would, though, in answer to the question, be acutely conscious when I'm on air of families listening. That person probably uh, listening, even if not live, someone might send to them. It, it just crosses my mind. It does. Even I find we talk about Roy Keane all the time mm-hmm. and he's that interesting almost unique subsection whereby he is so big. Yeah, he's the pep that I'm talking about earlier, but also and has the family listening. I think Cork of his family in Cork. I do. They cross my mind. Sorry, I'm not yeah, but I, you know, yeah. like, but there's times we've been talking about Keane and quite dismissively, you know, if he's, uh, I don't mean me personally, but just us, there's times where like his punditry has been ravaged. Uh, Richie McCormick, not a fan of Roy Keane punditry, for instance. And I thought to myself, oh, he just, you know, he's got family here and let's be but fair But is that well. not something that Richie should be able to say yes, without people is. taking offence? Like, that's what I was actually going to ask next is, we've kind of answered in some ways whether, you know, you pull punches or, you know, I think there's an element that you have to do it fairly, but I'd say sometimes you lean towards not wanting to insult as well. I mean, one, as opposed to anyone in particular. Is that right? Do you know what I mean? I suppose that's the part of the question well, as well. Like, should we pull our punches when it comes to analysis or criticism of sporting behaviour while also always keeping it in the context of it's only a game? It, like, you don't want to be totally boring and nice either, you know? Like, we're in a slightly unusual uh, world. It's not quite show business, but, you, you know, don't be boring and all that either is it's also a rule. It's funny on the... Um, it can depend on your point of emphasis. Like, do you see your duty as 100% to the listener or if you're a writer to the reader or do you think some of the duty of care applies to the people you're talking about? Like, so just it was we were I I bumped into uh, Paul Kimmage recently and we were at the Aviva and he was talking about um, different autobiographies and punches pulled. And I think, look, in fairness, there's a there's a uh, a, a loyalty and a, and a and a respect that they would feel to people they've played with, not to divulge X, Y, and Z. I'm not talking about doping or anything. I'm just talking about you know uh, secrets of the dressing room at large. And he said it before, and he would often say, "Yeah, but you're you're cheating the reader." Like so, he would be somebody say, "100 percent, it's the reader, nothing else." Or don't do the book. Yeah, but they offer good cash. <laughs> the money's too good. No, but like, but <laughs> you know what I mean? If you, but then you're open to the criticism. You're open to the criticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think rightly so, and I, and I think that's like so. I'd be completely on Kimmage's side in this. Is like you know, if you're going to write a book that's being, uh, you're telling me, and you're asking me for twenty euro, or whatever, to tell me that this is your story, mm-hmm. then it should be your story, or else I'm going to be critical of it. You know, and so so, I understand your question, but. You know, you either tell the story or you don't in, no, in it's terms fair. of the book. But in terms of an interview or something like that, you know, in terms of as an interviewer, I think you should have a duty to care to. It's almost the, the duty of care is in to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> to, to everyone. And what about in analysis? Do you have any duty of care to the people you're talking about? I think there's unless you, 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 you don't more often than not, I always think it's kind of highly sort of preposterous. Because we don't know at all what we're talking about. That's always got to find. I know when I'm talking about things. I'm like, but you know what I mean? Like you're talking about something that, oh, like if we're talking about the decision making of Guardiola. So say yesterday, for instance, it was fantastic and we can laud it as fantastic. But then 
so many people will speak when there's a mistake and it's, it, you criticize his decision making. It's like, well, hold on for a second. Like, it's just, it's such a ludicrous position to put yourself in that you should have some sort of authority. So if you're going to assume that you do have a right to talk about this in some sort of informed fashion, I think you kind of, that to me is just, it, it's very odd. It's a very, very odd thing to elevate your sort of yourselves up into. If you know what I mean, like we don't, we don't have we don't have any sort of if you if it was any sort of walk of life, you know, a surgeon for instance, and it's like, well, I've seen a your, <laughs> it's like I've seen a little bit of this and Do that. You know, it's on that not one, because I, I there's, there's that famous Brian Kerr clip that they use in the Saturday panel where he, you know he would say, you know, um, I never told a plumber how to do his job, but if I had a euro for it, you know, it was something on those lines. The yeah. amount of plumbers who told me how to do a job, but the counterpoint to that or the surgeon point is. How many matches do you watch? I, I probably am watching three to four matches a week mm. times 50 because it seems to be on nonstop. Let's call it a flat 200 matches a year and more during World Cups and all that. So, yo, and that's for the last 20, 30 years. So do the math. We're talking thousands of matches. So the, the You're quick like XG you were. Yes. We're, so you, you watch it. Th- so if you were to watch uh, a surgeon or a plumber do a routine piece of work, 10,000 times mm-hmm. and then the 10,000 first time you saw something which struck you as out of kilter with the previous 10,000 you would then be allowed to say hang on there surgeon that's yeah. not a, that's that's a bit unusual or I, yeah, I see something it's a weird thing to suggest that only football managers know anything about football no that's not my point my point is to suggest that we know we say collective uh, yeah. people talking about would know enough to question them in terms of their decision making and I don't mean someone gets a decision wrong that's fine to say that's wrong but we have no appreciation generally speaking for how they got to that point true we have absolutely no, no I take and you're that talking point. about like 200 yeah. matches a year or whatever yeah. I mean God knows how long how, how short a time a football manager will fit in 200 matches in terms of watching in a year I mean within a month less I know we feed off scraps and what's worse is like the outright arrogance which with which we yeah. just us but like the media world condemn but everybody's usually in opposition in these conversations. Like, surely at some point you're getting to a point where it's like, I have an opinion on this, Joe has an opinion on it, Will has an opinion on it, and we're airing out that conversation. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. One of us might be right, you know. It's not but wrong. It's but all, it's, it's kind of like, that. that's ultimately what sport is, though, isn't it? In terms of fandom, anyway, it's, and like... Uh, coverage is about the discussion around the game. So my, yeah, so if we're talking about within the rounds of the question, we make that unburdened by any expectation that we have to deliver on it. And so we we can make those comments and make those kind of arguments and opinions without anything of actually having to stress test them or kind of explore them in actual practice. And the inverse of that to me is exactly what we're talking about by players and why don't they divulge everything? Because they've been there and they know the ins and outs. It's, it's a, you're asking. It's the same way. Like, would you, if you were writing a book, would you divulge everything that was said? Oh in no, absolutely. Meetings? But I think that's one of the reasons why, not that I was, <laughs> in a parallel universe where people were interested in my life. But why, they would. I don't if you wrote a tell-all book, sorry, yeah, you, you, if you were to do a book on off the ball, it would, and you fly. and you published conversations you and I had had that yeah. I did not want public, then I'd be very upset with you. You'd have it. Yeah. So I'd in, have to in trust all, my memory a lot better. Well, that's true. But yeah. in in all this, like, you've a duty to the reader. I guarantee you when push came to shove, if you were doing the book, you'd also feel a duty to me and to Arthur and to Will and to everybody here. So then you'd, you'd massage. I agree and I wouldn't do it. But, uh, but what I'm saying is if I'm I... am offering you if 200 grand if I wrote, <laughs> to write a poxy <laughs> off the ball. But if I wrote the poxy off the ball version that yeah. you want me to write, who the hell would read it? It'd be crap. It's not your problem. Penguin are paying you. <laughs> your name's Judy Acare to Penguin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Short break. Back in just a moment. 
Okay, you're welcome back. Slight Tangent is coming at you. So I'll just breeze through a few emails very quickly. We got bogged down in that last one. Uh, For instance, we had an email saying, Hi from Thomas. This isn't actually a topic for a Slight Tangent. It's the only email address I know for you. I would say it's our most publicised email address, is it? Maybe it is on the show, actually. What else is there? How would you email off the ball? Info at off the ball. I, I'm not sure actually is the truth. There you go, right? I've Apologies, never, Thomas. I've never had to email anyway, we're, we're, we're breaking this person's confidence by putting it out on a slight tangent, are we? Uh, no, no, no. Thomas says, uh, I want to send a request. Please send Kenny Cunningham to France later this year as you're on the ground rugby correspondent. I think it would be amazing. He's a joy to listen to whether uh, he's talking about football or any topic. Imagine Kenny speaking French. That's all. I'm not a huge sports fan. I only ever watch the rugby hurling and a bit of golf. I always find more shows. most people who work at the show Enter- entertaining. Excuse me, and the pundits are always top shelf. Keep up the excellent work. Kind regards, Thomas. Uh, Grania, I'd be up for that, Kenny. I tied in with Kenny's cuisine as well. Indeed, yeah. food. Uh, who feels too young not to know what this means at thirty-two? Grania says, "Hi, Joe and Co. I feel obliged to write that." Good, Grania. I think the phrase "football hipsters" was used on this week's show. What defines a football hipster? I have a horrible feeling this is going to be like that clip doing the rounds last week where somebody was asked, what is woke? And they were completely flummoxed. <laughs> it's, you know, a, a, a football hipster. What is a football hipster? PSG are playing Bayern in the Champions League. Everyone's watching that game. Football hipster sitting down watching Porto against Inter. Okay. Um, because they prefer the tactical nuance of exactly. what's on Exactly. They appreciate football at a higher level than the popcorn football that is what the rest of us would pick yes probably going to wear some kind of obscure jersey as yeah. well I Sam suppose so. what him. was the word that Graham Potter described uh, uh, Reese James as playing as opposed to or, or as, as Chilwell he called Chilwell not a wing back but something a lateral oh, or no. something like that that's being a football hipster isn't it yeah making for, up kind of weird names for positions inverting the pyramid is sitting beside their toilet and is there for casual reading for guests that turn up in their house as well mm-hmm. that kind of thing yeah, that it's not an exhaustive right. list, but you probably know a football hipster in your life. Well, I guess it's like a hipster applied to football. Who likes football? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They like football before it got popular. Which of us is most hipster e in life? Not just. It's not football. me. Why did we all look at Arthur? I thought I'm off the grid. That's a very hipster thing. Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't think so. What's your only football jersey? Right, loads of football jerseys. Yeah, I've only ever seen you wear one. What was it? Loads of them. I don't wear them. Ireland one. I don't wear them. The Ireland one. The blue Ireland one. That was. Oh, the, that's very nice. Yeah. yeah. No. Very nice. Very nice. It's just because I'm sartorially astute. Oh, don't try and that. <laughs> <laughs> well, my only food football history uh, of uh, jerseys of the last however many years are two retro Villa jerseys. That's a little bit. Supporting Villa is a bit hipster, isn't it? Ah, that just happens though. It's it if I decided at uh, 25. <laughs> at the time, it wasn't fair enough. Well, Paul it, McGrath, it was very fans. populist at the time. There's a generation of them, isn't it? Yeah. Very. Uh, Some on the news round. <laughs> the closest we've come to it. Somebody bemoaning the demise of the Heineken Champions Cup was another uh, discussion point, which has been bubbling away, I would say, on the team, behind the scenes and occasionally <laughs> uh, front of house as well for a while now. We have Leinster against Leicester live on Friday evening. Tune in. It's <laughs> it already. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where, where, where are we then, the Heineken Champions Cup, in our collective imaginations? I quite like the last eight for the Champions Cup this year because you've got the South African teams who are coming in strong and are saying that they're prioritising trying to win the Champions Cup as opposed to the URC. The Northern Hemisphere sides who are left are all previous champions. 
last week we had the excitement of La Rochelle coming back when they looked like they were about to lose to a Gloucester side who were painful in the pool stages against Leinster. I think the pool stages of the last two seasons have really hurt the competition. Yeah. But when we get to this stage and it's the knockouts, if you're a rugby fan, you really look forward to it from the quarterfinals on. I think that's where I'm at. I find it hard to get excited about the pool stages because of the format and because of teams, say, like not even trying in away games. That's a trickier. It's a trickier sell than it used to be when it was about getting top of the ladder to qualify into the last six. Into it was the last a perfect competition. It was great. It was a perfect. Throw. Every game mattered. There was so much drama in it. Now, it's like, what can you do? There's nothing you could do if teams decide they're not going to take a competition seriously. But I don't know. It's really frustrating. There's a few other things going for it. I honestly think that. Munster being where they are massively affects it from an Irish point of view. I think Leinster have been so far ahead of the other Irish teams. I think I just think that there was no excitement or buzz about Munster's game. I think most people thought they were going to lose. You know, they were away in South Africa, which feels so like it is literally distant, but it feels it from a kind of an interest point of view or something. It just felt like a different world or something, you know, and. I just think that the, there was so much in the kind of Raj O'Connell story, you know, and even that kind of like fed down into the Earls and Amatini and all like that. And it's just sort of fading away, I think. And I think Munster were the Heineken Cup in many ways, weren't they? Like, you know, think of, think of Stuart Barnes and how in love with Munster he was back when Sky had the competition, you know? They were the heart and soul of it. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to exist anymore. And then you just take like... I don't know. Is there? I, I have no interest in any of the English clubs anymore. I don't know. The French clubs feel a little bit like, you know, La Rochelle will be the big club for the next three or four years. And before that, it was Toulon. And before that, it was... Toulouse now are back. Yeah, Toulouse are back. That is actually, you know, a genuinely good thing. And look, I think, I think, I think the fact that Leinster have struggled to win it in recent years and have, you know, many heartbreaking final uh, hurdle falls, I think helps keep that interest alive until they win it again. And it's obviously getting harder with South African teams, but I don't know. I feel like the weekend comes and goes at the moment uh, in a way that I feel 10 years ago took over. Yeah. Anecdotally, I would say say uh, people have really checked out of the tournament in a shocking way that I just never thought would happen. You know, you just sort of assume things will progressively get better somehow and bigger out of the Champions League. Uh, I, I think people have checked out big time. In a strange sort of way, and I don't know from, from an uh, object, an outsider point of view, say, it always feels to me, from the Leinster point of view, that almost winning it now was kind of par. Well, sorry, the other point I was going to make is along those lines. I do think if you take the noughties, it was just the perfect Irish provinces pitched in at the perfect level in that Munster there was a great sense of possibility, but it was never easy. It was still like miracle matches it to qualify. It was a saga to get yeah. there, yeah. Miracle yeah. matches to qualify required uh, superhuman efforts, but then also a real sense of possibility of winning the thing if things went their way and a, and a kind of culmination of 06, 08. Whoa. Yeah, after, then, after a Mayo-esque almost. Yeah, like yeah. Loads of like sob, Neil Back and yeah, the, uh, all of that Ogarva's miss against Northampton and that's before you even get to like the mad semi-finals and quarter-finals. And then like, there were yeah. the Leinster years where again that was thrilling in its own way because the route to 09, things like the Bloodgate game, 6-5, amazing. You know, and then Monster and then match. Monster match. And then Come back with Northampton all that. And then that kind of morphed into Leinster excellence of twelve and um eleven, the Northampton game, where they came back from the dead, Johnny Sexton's finest hour. So that that was all kind of thrilling. And we're now at a point I'd say last five, six, seven years in that the 
uh, format has, has dissolved for a lot of people. The group stages are gone. Uh, the BT, well, I think I really like the coverage. It's not in as many Irish homes and therefore it's just not as front of house. And we're at a point where now Munster have, it feels like no chance of winning the thing. And it's just a case of are they going to bow at quarterfinals or last 16 and they can do enough to get through group stages. But it's 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 like a, there's a cloud over it. It's, there's no sense of possibility, which was there. Yeah, exactly. And with Leinster, it's like it's not competitive enough all the way through until they either win it or they lose at the death and it's this unsatisfactory but hang on they were the best team we've ever seen for uh, 51 weeks of the year and now they lose to Saracens they lose to La Rochelle and it's like you know but but so and even if they do win it even though it's oh, it'll only be a fifth title you go into the season with the expectation that really Leinster with 17 members of a Grand Slam winning team should be possibly they should yeah. be winning this tournament so when they do like as exciting as it'll be and as full as the Aviva will be, it won't be the same as 09. It won't be 09. And to be fair, nothing can be 09. Even winning the Grand Slam this year was not 09. 09, everyone's running off in 50 different directions, losing their mind, hair on fire. Irish rugby's in a better place now. It was more job well done against England, course, shaking know, hands. But, but uh, the, the point, what was the point I was making? Oh yeah, for instance, against Leicester this uh, Friday, like... Is an, a quarter final of a European Cup, and it's just like there'll be no great uh, euphoria when Leinster trends them. And then to lose in Dublin, that was Leinster's best performance of the year last year. You'd expect again, this is to lose, but it's Leinster are so bloody good, you'd expect them just uh, to win that. So there's there, there aren't that many high points in Leinster's journey towards either winning or the, mm. the crashing defeat. Do you not think like, Leinster winning a final in Dublin would yeah, capture the imagination though? If yeah, they get the that, that will be great, yeah. Taking the Irish teams out but, of it but, though. But there's no, there's no high point or memories along the way really. It's not like those trips to a hard game one in the south of France yeah. in the baking heat of late April that kind of idea. Would you guys not have, in like 2003 whatever that sort of era like if, if Munster Leinster got knocked out you'd watch Waspen to lose in a final. Like there was something alluring about those games, whereas I feel now there's something, I don't know what it is, and maybe it's my own personal interest and it just happens to uh, correlate with yours, Joe, or whatever, but I don't find it as intriguing to watch the other non-Irish teams playing against each other as I would now. And, I, and, and there's going to be rugby fans listening to this, like a hardcore rugby contingent who are like, what are you talking about? These games are better than ever. But like, that is kind of for the hardcore. It's like, where is that interest from the general sporting public at a time when rugby among the general sporting public is bigger than it's ever been? But I so think it's, I, it's I, a weird I, drop off. Well, it's in, not to get too much into the minutiae, you. I think that lack of interest in non-Irish teams is and always has been the Irish rugby fan at large. Yeah, there is a there is a core group who love their rugby, but then. You know, I, I, I don't think... You know, I think you kind of got no. to know the club. I got to, like, uh, I knew that bit, Was team. I don't know any... Like, I knew that Leicester team. You've seen them every year. They were the same players. Players move more now. There's just, like, I, all things that... I don't want to sound like grumpy old man. I don't care. I just, like, it, it, it does take away that relationship of, like, seeing that uh, same Leicester team year no, in, year out and always coming up I, against I Munster. I disagree. Like, I think this Toulouse team are very identifiable. Yeah. That's Saracen's team. Saracen's team was, yeah. you know, they yeah, registered. And I wasn't watching at all. 
that's true. It might yeah. be just some of your fandom. Like I thought people were fairly disinterested when the All French final happened in Dublin as well. So this isn't just a kind of a yesterday or today. I was at that match, Claremont and Toulon. Claremont and Toulon, yeah. Yeah, and it was a great game. And I have to be honest, I barely watched it. Like, you know, it's like, you know, when you just go to one of those games, you have a rooting interest. Yeah, I remember uh, going and it felt more like a jolly because everyone was picking up tickets because yeah. it was easy to get tickets yeah. for it. It was yeah. almost like when the old Portuguese Europa League final like, happened. Like, yeah. Racing have sort of, you know, certain figures for Racing have yeah, okay. landed. Exeter beating Racing was a fairly forgettable year, but that happens. That was happening 20 years ago I, too. I do think, it, like I, and by the way, there's no, like I would be more than happy for like Friday night to be an absolute thriller at the Aviva yeah, and yeah. to reignite like this can reignite like the penalty shootout last year was class and everybody in the country was talking about that on a par as they would have in previous times you know Will's what I mean and people is, really needed Munster to get over the line yeah. that, but they didn't but. I think Will's point is is bang on the money the group stages are abysmal now having once been incredible but to be fair the knockout stages will throw up great games that the rugby hardcore will love all of them and you will even find yourself watching yeah. a few of them. We shouldn't have a last 16. I really think that quarterfinals, it was like Takes eight elite teams that's really hard to get into. You have to really do well in your group and you wait all the way through the Six Nations then knowing what the quarterfinals are going to be and you're in for a really good ride of like, you know, three games in four weeks to finish off the Heineken Cup. Like you shouldn't have a situation where one win and a defensive bonus point is enough to qualify for the last 16. Mm. There's just not enough danger when that. But there was a lot of poor teams playing this yeah, weekend. Yeah. Like, yeah. Andrew from Mullingar. Hi, Joe and fellow Tangenteers. I uh, love the show, which may come as a surprise to you when you read my topic of discussion. And then Andrew disappointingly writes, apologies for the long-winded email, at which point I was pretty close to hitting delete. Okay, Joe has summarised For the, the apology? Uh, no. For the long-windedness? For the long-windedness. Again, yeah. we disagree for, on this. For, for, a man, summary. for a man in his email who is, who is critiquing others, he may just have held a mirror up to himself and asked, could I have done better? For instance, he wrote, I love sport, obviously. Again, draw a line through that. Unnecessary detail. I won't go through it in painstaking detail, Andrew. Joe's here critiquing uh, every you know, this writing, <laughs> writing class with Joe Malloy every Tuesday night here on Off the Ball. Oh, I'm joking, really. Uh, so have you done guest lecturing? I have actually. Yeah, I presume you have, Arch. Where? Uh, I was very good at it. <laughs> no. In uh, what, like, in journalism? Yeah, but like about I'd say ten years ago when I was not qualified to do it. <laughs> but, <laughs> now that I am, I'm way too big for that crap. I, you know. <laughs> I don't mean it that way. I don't mean it that way. I don't mean it that way. I don't mean those corporates, but I think I knew you did that. I must have been somewhere in the deep recesses know. of my brain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, Andrew says, "I love sport, obviously." Then don't state the obvious. But anyway, I love sport, obviously, <laughs> and consume so much sporting uh, podcasts and TV, particularly soccer, GA and golf. Even though I like listening to certain journalists uh, giving their opinions on matters in their own individual manner, I've become increasingly frustrated when it comes to so-called expert pundits in brackets ex-players, especially when it comes to football. I understand everybody has their opinions and you'll think some are good, some others aren't, etc. However, I find myself becoming increasingly frustrated and I've actually had to block certain pundits from popping up on my Twitter timeline. In particular, Jamie O'Hara, Gabby Agbon Lahore, etc. As I just get so annoyed at the clickbait rubbish and despite this, I find other people I follow reacting, which makes me see it, even though I block them. I think he just needs to block one account there, but go on. He needs to tighten up this email. It used to be just talk sport that engaged in this pure <laughs> and utter shite, but now it's everybody. 
For example, out of pure habit, I turn on Sky Sports News and I'll see the likes of Stephen Warnock on Ref Watch, and I already know what he's going to say before he said it. I think Warnock's Warnock's okay. the voice of reason on uh, Ref Watch. No, no, he's good. It's Dermot Gallagher who's the clickbait guy. Uh, honestly, with every decision. What's the point? Asks Andrew. Surely, for somebody who's paid to do this, they should be able to see or say something that I can't see. Someone who's never played at any level. Punditry either comes in the form of clickbait or just monotonous cliches. I don't find it as bad in other sports. It's it's largely just soccer. I genuinely think Neville and Carragher are the only ones that bring something to the table and I'm even starting to get sick of their childish schoolboy frenemies charade. It's an interesting observation. Mm-hmm. Uh, nearly there. Is the standard just terrible? That is the question. Is the standard of football punditry just actually terrible or are my expectations unrealistic? I can't help but feel if I'm right and the standard has gone down, a lot of it is down to football Twitter and fan channels which encourage hyperbole. Do you agree? I'm interested to know what you all think. Lastly... See, that was the same sentence twice. Yeah. Do you want to point that out? Yeah. Uh, Football shows come up here, Doug, man. Lastly, before you assume I'm a grumpy old man who doesn't enjoy anything except writing overly long emails, he didn't put that in. I'm actually a 24-year-old man who doesn't enjoy anything. Ah, oh, he saved me with the last yeah, line. Last you won me right back, Andrew. The last line saved it. Uh, keep up the good work. Andrew in Mullingar. I know Andrew. I can confirm that. He is 24. I uh, I jest, by the way. The length of email was appreciated. It, uh, he made a lot of good points in that email. Uh, I couldn't agree with some of it uh, more, to be honest. Okay. Ooh. Which part did you find really resonated in your heart? So I don't know about... I like. I, I don't know if we need to get into the... The, the clickbait style of things I think there's a lot of different types out there there's you're, there's a lot of football media who will be trying to um, look for different audiences and you know that's fine I think even within talk sport there's some interesting conversations and then there's some of that crap Arthur's obsessed with Simon Jordan he is yeah well I, I don't necessarily for different interesting to be honest but it is different I and mean, we should have different voices and I think you can look into like I mean I guess so, I think if you, Simon if, Jordan's good I I I, I I'm not a fan of him personally. It doesn't not to say he's not good radio. If you but delve into an hour with you and Kenny Cunningham, like and you can't say, Oh well, like, you know, it's not there's no real good conversation about football out there. You know, I, I just disagree with that in general. But I would say that we are trending the wrong way. I think that I agree with the frenemies thing on, on Carragher and Neville. They had something really going a couple of years ago. The Monday Night Football stuff was brilliant. There's still it's still there. But it's just it feels like they're they're leaning on the BS side of things rather than the detailed, interesting, the only ones saying this kind of pundit, the only ones doing this kind of punditry. And it's just a pity. And I like, for, like I've talked before about Sky's kind of obsession with everybody having their team and everybody having their corner. I, I, I think and I think it really, oh, the, really... Uh, the corner point is... I think it really uh, I, th- I think you're wrong. I, th- I think you're wrong about Neville and Carragher on a Monday. I just think the two minute clips packaged up are the frenemies stuff mm. but actually the core of the show is still lots of analysis but you're in here on a Monday I don't know if you're watching it back in full I, I wonder ga- I guarantee is- you what you're getting online is the stuff that the producers are funneling which but is frenemies uh, maybe that's all maybe that's what we have to say that, that, and when I say that's what they're leaning towards I don't necessarily mean Carragher Neville and Carragher sorry I mean Sky and what they have there because they know that's what's getting clicks and views, though. Sure, yeah. The, the audience gets what it asks for. And Carragher and Neville know that as well. I, I think probably Andrew's point, and I'm guessing here slightly, might well be what they've developed online themselves with their own back and forth between each other as well. Yeah, Carragher will often change his profile pic to slag off Neville. Neville will the Neville the wine, glass of wine. Yeah, but, the, but the Micah Richards on Match of the Day on Sunday 
basically Saturday, yeah. La- or was it Saturday? Yeah. Of course it was, yeah. Like and Mark Chapman and everyone just like laughing at, well, of course, of course, it's ridiculous for you to comment on Pep Guardiola celebrating in front of the Liverpool players because, you know, you're Man City, basically. And Micah, and you work for Man City. And Micah like laughing, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Chapman saying, don't you avoid eye contact. I did think that was like, oh, we're heading into a new territory here where not only is this happening and not only is it now discussed, it's now being like celebrated and it's supposed to be part of the package that as a consumer I meant to find cutesy. I mean, it's like one of those uh, Kevin James movies where they go off and they, they say, we had a great time making the movie and it's the worst thing you've ever seen. You know, I'm not having a good time here with this little act. I, I want someone Who to Who is that for? I don't know. No. That's, for, don't that's know. for Richards. Yeah. Like there's, and, and themselves and whatever. Like there's like... Even even Man City fans, like, what are they getting out of Richards, like, refusing to answer a question and them all finding it hilarious? Nobody thinking it's in any way insulting to the people paying him money mm. that he is refusing to engage on anything but positive about the club that he's with. Like, say what you want about Roy Keane. Like, we talked about this earlier. Like, you know, Roy Keane will say as much bad about United as good. And if if somebody wants to be... And Keane is probably the one who doesn't care about... He's probably the one who's pitching... I think Scholes is similar as well on Scholes, Grant. Yeah. So Scholes will be... His perspective will be United. I think right? Neville... I think but Neville he'll say it both too. ways. Neville will say it both ways too. Yeah, absolutely. I think Neville can sometimes lead to... Uh, it could be annoying. Do you know what? There's a co-com element to that. God Almighty, when you're watching United matches, it's like Man City. I remember when Man City, Man City scored, had one of the most brilliant first halves I've ever seen a team play, and every bit of analysis was about United's defending for the goals. And it's like I kind of don't necessarily blame him for that, but I do wonder about what you're trying to get out of your coverage. That every every United match has to have the United voice, every Liverpool match has to have the Liverpool voice, and nobody else matters. But look, spoken anyway. like an Aston Villa fan. But it, it, no, but it, it's spoken of there's more, there's more people who aren't supporters of those two clubs True. than there are people who are. What's Not watching the match, though. In England. Not watching the match. What's, what score line was that City-United game? That's the 6-1 game, I think. Was it, it was the one recently. I think it was like 3-0 at half-time or six something. 6-3. That was the I think at a certain point when it gets to bigger numbers, it becomes about the losing team. It was, a, I mean? it was always about the losing team, though, in the mm. commentary. Like at 1-0, it should be about City's opener. Yeah. But I think at 6-0, it should be about United's disintegration. Yeah, that's fine, but I mean, it was all the way true. <laughs> okay, it was though. Like, I mean, that's this is true. Is what I'm saying, like, you know, fair enough. One point that stood out there, Joe, about the idea of them being paid and then not having opinions of its own. Not the one that really annoys me is pundits who go on and almost revel in their ignorance of not knowing about teams, particularly if they're non-Premier League teams on European coverage. It happens during the World Cup a lot as well. It was like, well, I don't know about them. Mm. Why are you on a panel then? Like, surely it is the lowest bar that you would have to set to be familiar or have done research on the team. How many people do that? Because we all hear it and we remember it when it happens. But I've talked to pundits who have done games and it's like, they'd be like, 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 I'm doing Morocco tomorrow, I don't know much about it. And then by the time they're on TV, they will. Like they, They take that seriously. But that's, again, that's just a couple of people that I've talked to, but... I have heard the. It happens. I don't know that. With Liam Brady during the World Cup. Yeah, I know you never knew you were talking yeah. about Liam Brady. <laughs> it's not just him though. This happens. Yeah, definitely on Champions League coverage. Not so much on BT, but I've definitely found it in other broadcasters where legitimately be like, ah, oh, yeah, we don't know a whole lot about them, but we know all about Man United, Liverpool, whoever the team that are playing are. Mm. I would have thought. With everything that's available now, video-wise, everything you can read, the fact the Athletic has a correspondent on every oh, no, team on the planet, sure. I don't understand yeah. how you could be a paid pundit and probably quite well paid and not know about the teams that you're going yeah. to talent. I have to say, though, the I'm the City ambassador, so my opinion here is City. Yeah. That annoys me more. Yeah, I don't that's know nonsense. why. That's just getting my goat up lately. 
To his email, though, I completely, by the way, I've talked about that before, like, I couldn't agree with you more. That's the thing that's driving me mad about all punditry at the moment. But other than that, is punditry actually worse than it was 20 years ago? Or do we just oh, think that everything is worse than I it think was? it's way better. I'd say if we went back now and watched 20 years ago, with the notable exception of the RTE panel, who were just box office, I would think the standards 20 years ago were terrible. Yeah, I really would think they were awful. I agree. I agree. Better, better punditry, but a lot more of it. There's a lot of talk before football games now. I wish it was a little bit shorter, but that's just me. You don't have to watch it. No, you don't. That's the thing. Oftentimes, I will just tune in yeah. close enough to kick off. Yeah. And I'll probably watch the fallout after the game more so than the hour before. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a final um, quick tangent, how are we feeling that the um, Easter weekend upcoming marks the start of the GEA Championship? Perfectly fine with it. Can't wait. It's gonna be great. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like worry about the rest of the year, the rest of the year. But like it's gonna be great. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to the Mayor Scommon on Sunday. Like it's gonna be fantastic. Yeah, I think I am as well, actually. It's a box office start, which we it's, don't always yeah, get. Yeah, exactly. And I mean I know like and yeah, because it's gonna be so kind of congested in that sort of way, you're gonna have great games every weekend. I know it's a nightmare to cover and you can you'll probably miss things mm. that you'd like to watch, but like that's gonna be this so that'll be this weekend. Mm-hmm. Does the hurling start the following weekend or the weekend after? Twenty third. So the weekend after, okay, so there'll be some games in between anyway. But like, so the hurling then, and the Munster Championship, unbelievable week on week. How, like, how irritating, sorry, irritating is a strong word, uh, let's keep in perspective. How uh, damaging, that's also a strong word. <laughs> uh, <laughs> frustrating. Uh, frustrating, strongish word. Uh, Mick started explaining to me the permutations of, you know, provincial and knock-on effects for Sam Maguire, Talchin Cup. Uh, basically Cavan uh, and Fermanagh and not qualifying like as soon as you, no, don't, don't do it again yeah. as I soon as you start I've put a document into teams which you could have uh, like I'm allergic to that I'm allergic to any sports competition where it's too complicated to hold the format in your head and I just I've like got my arms Ke- it's Kevin the Nations like the, League sorry like the Champions Cup group stages yeah yeah I, so, I, I haven't bothered to learn that nobody in has. three or four years. No, nobody <laughs> has. So I've got my arms crossed. I don't, I, as soon as you start talking about it, I glazed over and I just thought, oh, I don't, I just do not like the thought of that whatsoever. Yeah. And I think the general public, the sporting GA loving public, if you were to stop any of them in the street and say, your house depends on your answers here, give us the lay of the land. I think most people are like, oh, look, I'll figure it out as it comes. Yeah. Uh, is that not okay though? Because like whatever about, okay. whatever about the, time of year which we can come back to the fact that the uh, football the provincial championships are on their way to being worthless they're not maybe as, yeah. we, as we said there'll be a couple of years hangover before people fully realise that for people who missed last night it was you or Arthur maybe we all agreed It'll it, provincial might start going the way of like the FA Cup where certain big names are rested and it'll just wilt yeah over time I would say yeah and again only for the bigger teams for the yeah. division one teams who are serving and, and don't have anything to play for within them but uh, we all have agreed for many, many years that the football championship needs a revamp where the top teams are playing each other more often and kind of akin to the hurling. And this isn't a bad system that they've come up with. No. So complicated or not, we'll figure it out. We don't even need to know. Like, you know, unless you're a Cavan or Fermanagh fan and you're wondering, is there any chance or, or Cavan who have this like weird chance of getting into the, you know, thing, but probably won't happen. But even at that, Mick, it's fairly simple if to get to a provincial final now. No, well, Westmead can also make the Leinster West final. No, but yeah, I suppose, yeah. yeah. West, you know that Westmead No, but you know what I mean? You've li- yeah, yeah. We've literally, because there was two chances, Joe's point is true. what I'm talking you know? about. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's what I'm saying. So, like, although that, like, they, no, the rest of us don't need to know that, really. Mm. 
you know so we maybe just I'm annoyed here as, as a broadcaster it's going to make my job more irritating maybe that's actually we'll tell from. you you just have to read oh. your briefs yeah you need to read your briefs and in <laughs> fairness it'll become really clear as the provincials start to whittle down which teams can qualify because sure. we already know the Connacht situation with the Division 4 teams on that side of the draw we already know that Cavan are going to be ranked above Fermanagh well, because they won the cup the point is we don't know though like we do know if we if we bother to oh if you go into out, the detail yeah because at the moment yeah it's pretty loose but I I do kind of like the idea they tried to do two things at the one time they tried to keep the provincial championships relevant with the bonus of getting to a final getting you into the All Ireland series but also they want to prioritise the league so we're trying to keep everyone happy at the one time and then it becomes a little bit complicated I think it'll in practice it'll be a lot simpler than it is right now can I go back to the championship starting at Easter and everything that goes with the shortened season, right? There's been a, a sort of a decision made that club players happy, county players happy, managers happy, split season's the way to go, right? I've said all along, that is absolutely fine. They should be the ones that are basically making the sh- calls in this. The club game is super important. It was a really successful summer last year. If this is the way it is, then this is the way it is, right? I could, t- I could be in favour of that, well, I wish things weren't so polarised that like you're either in favour of it or against it and you're, you know, there's a clash there either way, right? Because you have to, there's downsides to this. There's massive downsides to this. Part of the beauty of the GEA Championship, as we add more games, as the round robin has come into hurling, as it is now in the football, part of the beauty of the Championship was always the build-up, was always, we're, you know, Claire playing tip in three weeks' time. It was always you were it's certain three, four weeks was always the number and that was the countdown, right? Whereas Mayo win the league and they're playing Roscommon six seven days later and then all these games are just gonna be happening on top of each other. There's gonna be Munster hurling from next week all the way through, I think with one week off for six weeks, then you have a week off Munster final and you're in and the season's over then. You know, there's only gonna be six teams left in the in the competition. You know, it's just like it it just is going to happen so quick. There's going to be no time to take your breath. There's going to be no time for, you know, to be properly considering what's happening. Everyone will end up watching their own team mm. and maybe watching another match on the other day. You know what I mean? And that's just kind of the way it is. There's definitely something missing from it. While it might be an overall good thing, it's the best of a bad situation because there's not yeah, enough okay. time in the year, etc. Arthur, I feel like you're making a grimaced face there during that point. No, well, it's like it's just, yeah, three weeks and if you lose, you're out. Oh, I'm not talking about going back to. I'm not talking about going back to. Uh, but you can't spread it out. We know we can't spread it out any further. So if it's a timing thing is the issue, then what? There's there's no solution to that. You know what I mean? No, I think. But he, I was think I not bringing it up as something that had no solution? But I said it's something that you pity. can still. Yeah, it's still. I think. I think it he's, takes he's, away in some way. He's from lamenting it without looking for a solution. Jeez, I don't think so. And some of the solutions you like finesse, they turned down. Like they could have got rid of the league finals. That would have created. Another yeah, league. that's true. Hurling could have dropped the semi. You like hard and fast, Arthur? Do you? I think it's it's the best it's ever been. Like it's unbelievable. What about the lack of breathability that Michael's talking about during the summer? Preview, hype, roadshows. Roadshows. <laughs> we wouldn't know where to be going with our roadshow schedule. Recovery yeah. time for injured do not, players. Do you not like that sense of uh, a summer plotted out gently? Matches in the two to three week distance. I don't, I, it doesn't bother me. It really doesn't bother me. But like, because I, I just think you're still getting what you want. You're still getting great games. Mm-hmm. You're still getting it's just granted. I know it's you, you miss that, but like the, this is probably a fact of the matter is most people, most fans, say specific or supporters, were left out of that to begin with. It, it like it didn't. You weren't factored into it. There was no like so from say from my perspective, growing up in Sligo or whatever, there was two what, one year really. Where, well, like beyond Connacht, like in two thousand two, got to an All Ireland quarter final. 
and a few more after that between Con- getting into Connacht finals and stuff. But like, you never part of the national discussion. So there's no change now. It's like grand. You're all part of this grand big melee, and everything's kind of played out. But that's that's no different. So you're not. There's no losing anything. Right. I always kind of feel like those big days were for big counties, and those big kind of bring into a Kerry whatever match. It's like yeah, okay, fine. They'll still play. We'll still watch it. But like the hullabaloo and stuff like that, kind of up for the match revelry is kind of that excluded most people all the time. So it doesn't. I, I don't think anything's been lost. I think okay. it's just that's personally anyway. Yeah. I'd happily exclude myself from watching up for the match anyway. We should talk about up for the match tonight. No. Slight tangent. Please no. July. July, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are out of time. We will be back in the not too distant future. My thanks to Will, Michael and Arthur. That was a slight tangent. You can download it in the off the ball daily feed. <laughs>